welcome to the Geek Night in episode 48. Hooray, we're back. We're doing episodes again. Woo! I'm your host, Laura, and I am here with several people this week. I'm not here with Gemma Thompson. She said she'd be back by this week. She's not. Useless Gemma. Who I am here with, though. Kate, you're here. Hello. I am indeed. You're here. You're doing words with your mouth. Everything is great. Yes. Sorry, somebody just sent me a video of, like, a haunted thing and it's not even haunted so i'm quite disappointed well no need to bring that up then if it's not even haunted it's not good enough for the geek night in oh my god i'm like it's oh is anybody oh my god we oh oh my god sorry <laughs> what was that noise we should have a ghost story one for halloween <gasps> oh yeah okay ha- is, halloween, is halloween near a sunday let me have a look we have to have or maybe it, make yeah, it so it, it goes out on Halloween. Tilly just dropped a load of chocolate on the floor if you're wondering about the scream. This is a very productive episode we've had so far. Um, no, it, it is on a Sunday because it's the there's a vintage market on in It's on a Saturday, but thanks. Um, is it? Yeah. Is it on the 31st? <laughs> yeah, the 31st is on a Saturday, but maybe we could record it at some point. But yeah, we should have, um, we should have a scary one. We should have a horror story. <laughs> that would be really cool. Tilly, you've got chocolate hands. Let me I find don't... it for you. <laughs> this is not... The podcast is not the time to be looking up dates. Yep, Saturday the 31st. Why are they telling me that it's on the 31st? No one's telling you that it's on the 31st. Anyway, we've got a podcast to do. The other voice is Tilly. Hello, Tilly. Hello. Pick up your chocolate, put it somewhere where it's not going to melt in your hands. We're going to have a good show. You're not my real mum. I'm I'm not any kind of your mum. I just saw it move. I just saw it move. I saw the doll, the possessed doll move. I'm going to start us talking about some topics because so far this podcast is going in very strange directions. Um, So first topic of the night, I put in our podcast chat, you're podding tonight. Kate misread it as you're pooping tonight. Can I just Uh, say poop news, which I think should be a regular feature. Pooping news? Um, Poop news. Tell us the poop news, Kate. Yeah, the poop news is... um, I had a poo the other day and I have, um, because of my lactose intolerance, sometimes my poos are quite extensive. I was on the loop so long I gave myself a full pedicure. Oh, wow. I know. I know. That is just impressive. That is impressive. I know. I was just like, well, I'm sat here not really doing much. Um, And there was like the pedicure stuff next to me. So that's what happened. That's the poo report with Kate. The poo report with Kate. Did it ba ba ba. There you go. You have your own jingle now, Kate. That was amazing. Talk about who. Um, things that happened this week. I I last night wrote two pieces of short fiction based on writing prompts. Were they about poo? No, they unfortunately were not. I am very sad to inform you. Because um, we, we did this a while back. Like I wrote a short story based on this writing prompt about like half of humanity can fly, but the only way to find out if you're one of them is to jump to your death. And, you know, maybe you'll fly, maybe you'll hit the ground, who knows? Um, so I was feeling creatively a bit like, uh, I'm not creating anything. I feel a bit stupid because of that. So I wrote two short stories that reach maybe 500 or so words. Are we up for hearing some short story time? You mean the flash fiction? Yeah, yeah the, the flash fact. fiction. <laughs> Shut up. I called it a short story because it is a story and it is short. Tilly informed me that is wrong and it's flash fiction. I didn't say it's wrong. I just said you, you just could, corrected me. I just said you could call it flash fiction because it is also flash fiction. Yes, but it's also a short story. It is also a short story. <laughs> you are correct. Okay, so this is a story that I called Voices that I wrote last night while I was like, oh, 
I'm just a critic. I never create anything. I don't provide value to the world. So I wrote a short story or a piece of flash fiction. Um, and the writing prompt was, um, one day you discover you can hear voices. You can hear the voices of others. Not the most exciting writing prompt in the world, but I, I like what I did with it. So the first time I heard the voices, I didn't think I was crazy or anything. I just thought my neighbour was being an asshole. They weren't clearly defined voices, nor were they too loud. They sounded like someone having a heated discussion on the other side of my not-terribly-thick apartment wall. The problem came when I tried to go to sleep. It was 1am. The voice was still droning on. Nothing understandable, just a monotone droning. I had to work in the morning, so I went next door to ask Eloise to shut up. I banged on the door several times, shouting through her door asking her to keep it down. Eloise opened her door, in her pyjamas, bleary-eyed. She'd very clearly just woken up. More than anything, she was pissed off at me for waking her up. She had nobody else over, her TV and radio were turned off, she'd been sleeping. I apologised and went back to bed. The voice didn't stop. The following day, I, I heard more than one voice. I began to pick out words, names, times, foods. I started to match the voices up to the actions of those around me. I don't know exactly when I put two and two together or what prompted my realisation, but what I do remember was very understandably freaking the fuck out. I was hearing fucking voices, and they were the thoughts of those around me. Once I'd gotten over this initial shock, I actually found it to be kind of cool, just for a while. I knew this little sphere of influence where I knew everything that was there was to know. Knowledge is power, and I felt like some kind of god. The problem came as my power grew. I started to hear further and further. I couldn't help but hear further and further. What started as something that made me feel powerful over time felt more and more like a huge glaring weakness, the kryptonite to whatever step on the evolutionary chain I was. I eventually succumbed to the oldest cliché in sci-fi. I resorted to the tinfoil hat. I guess the cliché has some basis in fact, because in an instant it quieted the world around me. I tried to do the whole remove the hat to read a mind thing once or twice. All it did was flood my head so heavily that thought became impossible. Yeah, that whole targeted mind reading concept didn't really work out. Still, maybe I can find a way to control this, rein it in. There has to be someone else out there like me. If only I could quiet the voices long enough to find them. I guess for now I'll just keep an eye out for another weirdo wearing a tinfoil hat. There you go, there is a short story I wrote. Woo. I like it. I like it. it's good, yeah. Yeah, I also did one more, but it's also like it's it's really dark. The other one I did. Do you want to hear a really dark story I wrote about holding a gun to someone's head, trying to decide whether to shoot them? Uh, why are you shooting people? Don't shoot people. It was based on a line from a song called "Early Sunsets Over Monroeville," which is a My Chemical Romance song, um, where I basically like took a couple of lines and built a story about having a gun held to someone's head. I've done that before. Yeah. Well, what, you held a gun to someone's head? Uh, no. Taken you... a line from a song. Like, um, yeah. if you look at my Pinterest, um, my entire The Lost and Brave board is, um, like, full of poems and song lyrics that remind me of things that characters have to say and yeah. things that they have to do and fights that they have to have. And Anyway, Karen. Hmm. So, yeah, I will read my, my story called Would Anyone Care? Which, again... I apologise in advance. This one is a lot of like someone being like, this person's a piece of shit, I'm going to shoot them in the head, but I'm scared to shoot them in the head because that's a scary thing to do. I've read a little bit further on, and um, 
I'm concerned for my safety. Nah, you don't have to be scared for your safety. These are lines from the song that you're yes, reading. Yes, I know, it's fine. <laughs> As I held the gun to the centre of his forehead, I didn't know if I could go ahead with it. I knew nobody would notice. Nobody would even care. Not one fucking person would miss this slimy piece of shit. As I stared into the eyes of the man who took everything from me, I knew the world would be an unquestionably better place if I just put a bullet between the fucker's eyes. If you're going to kill me, then just fucking do it, he screamed, locking eyes with mine. The benefit of a gun as a murder weapon is you can be impersonal. You can disconnect yourself from the act. You can act on impulse. You can kill from a distance. Why the fuck did I choose a gun, then proceed to forsake every benefit the weapon provides? Well, not every benefit. It's fast. One small movement. It's easy. There's no turning back once you commit, and until then, no harm is done. I break our shared gaze. I know I'm going to have to look him in the eyes if I choose to kill him. I calmly try to collect my thoughts. My thoughts do not cooperate. Before I pull this trigger, I offer. Your eyes vacant and stained. My words begin to audibly tremble. I have to scream an angry, hoarse, raw noise to continue getting the words past my lips. You saying you loved me made made this harder at best. The words fall apart. They become less and less understandable. There's no room in this hell, there's no room in the next. Without another word, I pull the trigger. You there you go. sort of why I'm concerned. I am not gonna shoot you, Tilly. <laughs> in saying you love me made this harder at best. Yeah. In this fictional story... Tilly, there, I love there... you, but I am gonna shoot you in the face. In this story, uh, the, the character is in love with a man, so don't worry. You're all fine. So yeah, that was me attempting to find things that like elicited some emotion to write about last night. Yay! It's good. It's good to have those kind of exercises. Is yeah. I do. Um, I do tend to find like when I write that the um, the lyrics to the song don't tend to fit with um, actual dialogue. Mm. Like it's really hard to write a song using lyrics and then be like, oh. I wrote a supernatural fanfiction that was like an homage to a poem by Richard Sykin mm. about being gay and how people want to kill you because you're gay. And um, that was really hard as well. Like I tried to make the write- the prose all like poetic and flowy and I don't think it worked very well. I'm still waiting for feedback. So yeah, woo, I wrote some fiction this week, and in less heavy news, um, I also watched a ton of Yu-Gi-Oh, which Tilly was <laughs> privy to. What, it, what were your thoughts watching Yu-Gi-Oh in uh, depth for the first time? Oh yeah, I saw your tweets about this. It's terrible, but I still cried at the end. It's, it's, it's terrible, but you can't help but love it. It's really endearing in its terribleness, is that not correct? Yes, it is. It's true. Um, so basically, I watched up to the end of the second season of Yu-Gi-Oh! And I think for Tilly, the highlight was season one, there is an episode in which Yugi and Joey have a card game. We're and... seven brothers, but, but now, now we have to fight each other. Oh my yeah. god. And th- there is an emotional song about how they were closer than brothers and had to, you know, fight each other now. We don't know. We can't remember the tune to this song. We just make it up every time we sing it. <laughs> yeah. It's different every time. So for anyone who has never watched Yu-Gi-Oh! It, is, never a, watched it, is, it is an animated show about a children's card game that completely ignores the rules of the card game and is incredibly, incredibly dramatic. Um, In season one, someone is so adamant that they need to win a children's card game that they stand on the roof of a building 
threatening to fall to their death if the person wins their their opponent wins a card game it's like if you win this card game i will kill myself um you have oh my gosh my favorite one is um when um the 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 first episodes like big the first seasons even big bad villain type yeah and um he's coming up into a duel with this guy and he's like um gotcha yeah and he's like oh yeah i'm gonna win it's gonna be great and then he's like oh there are easier ways to break a person's spirit and i'm like excuse me yeah really a- apparently it's easier to break a person's soul yeah he says it to win at a children's card he, he game. decides are you fucking serious yeah the season one villain decides that it's much easier to break someone's spirit by kidnapping their younger brother removing their soul from their body and making them a like mindless husk to fight against than it is to you know beat them in a children's card game when you invented the card game it's it's terrible but i love it because like the bit that like i think where tilly was like i'm where tilly started crying and being like oh i love these characters was season two when there is basically like the children's version of saw is happening two people are tied to an anchor and given 60 minutes to play a card game if the timer runs out or when one of them wins the other one gets pulled to the bottom of the ocean on an anchor also someone else is tied to a chair with a piano about to fall on them and then one of them gets pulled down in the water and then the blind girl takes her bandages off and dives in to save them. And it's all so endearing and terrible. Endearing and terrible. Yeah, it's like, it's, it is the shittiest show that I love so very much. I'm like that with Casualty. Yeah. It's, I, I, I hazard to guess this is worse than Casualty, but I love it so much. Well, Casualty's pretty good, so yeah, probably. Yeah, so there's that. Um, who else has a thing they'd like to talk about this week? Tilly, you can. Oh, thank you. Um, Do you want to talk about a sport? Oh, a yeah. Sport. A sport? <laughs> a sport? You want to tell us about a sport? Well, I didn't actually watch it, but it's uh, it's been a pretty big deal in my family. I was so annoyed that no one woke me up to watch it. But uh, South Africa lost in our first match against Japan. In, in the World Rugby World Cup. Cup. Oh, okay, yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I, but it it was... Um... Do you want a funny rugby story? Yeah. So, there's an advert that's like, support England in the World Cup, you know, just one of those mm. generic ones, probably sponsored by so many different brands. And they're showing it in cinemas, and they showed it, um, you know... Oh, was this where they become, like, giants? I don't know, it was specifically support England in the World Cup. It was probably English rugby. Um, They're they're trying to sell t-shirts and things like that. And they're showing it, it, when you go to the cinema, um, as I very often do, um, they show adverts, obviously, before the trailers. And they are showing that advert in a couple of um, films. Only they accidentally showed it in the cinema in Edinburgh. Oh, <laughs> all the people on Twitter were like, "You, what? Nobody's happy. How dare you?" And it was a legitimate mistake. It wasn't anybody trying to wind anyone <laughs> up. But yeah, I would not want to be on that yeah. cinema. So tell me, Tilly, have I understood the the Rugby World Cup thing that happened correctly? In that South Africa are quite a good team at rugby, and Japan are not a very good team at rugby. Mm. But, but the Japanese yeah. play their little heart out every yeah, time. They try very hard and. Am I right in basically comparing this to the tortoise and the hare story where um, South Africa are the hare who is very fast and it got overconfident and was like, ah, oh, there's no way we can lose and basically took a nap. And then the tortoise that is Japan 
sneakily went over the finish line at the last minute and beat the Japan. The tortoise that is Japan. Yeah. Well, yeah is, I mean, is that a fair assessment of what happened in the sport game? Yeah. And I mean, it's it's slightly ridiculous in that, um, like, South Africa wasn't even playing with... Um, they weren't even playing! They weren't, <laughs> they weren't playing with our full, the full amount of players. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, no, you're supposed to have... 15 okay, people on a rugby sport, team. But I could tell you that that is not the way to win a match. Well, well that's no. why they were so... Yeah. Um, that's part of the reason why they lost is because they were so cocky that they were like, oh yeah, we can play with 14 players and we'll still win. Yeah, we'll be a and person down like, and we'll, we'll still win. You see now why I'm comparing it to the tortoise and the hare. It's like complete just cockiness. Have none of them been told that fairy tale story fable growing up? It's not very no. They don't. It's no. like because we... well, got the Springboks, yeah. 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 Oh, look, I'm so I'm so hip. And... Okay, the Springbok <laughs> and the snail. <laughs> I will go bring that over to South Africa and teach everyone. I remember the biggest fable that I knew about was the leopard and the frog. Tell us about the leopard and the frog. Um. Oh, it's about uh. There's a there's a antelope, I think. And he wants to go into his house, and he goes in, and he can hear someone breathing. And he's like, "Is it his? Is it himself? It's not himself." <laughs> Although, good, good guess. Um, and he's like, "Who's there?" And there's this deep, like, rumbly voice comes out, and he's like, "This is my house now." Uh, whatever, I can't remember exactly <laughs> what he says, but it scares the antelope, and he runs out. And then he meets a buffalo, and the buffalo's like, "Whoa, what, what scared you so much?" And he's like, "Well, there's someone in my house." So the buffalo's like, oh, it's cool. I'll um, I'll come sort that out for you. So he goes in and he goes, right, who's in my friend's house? And this voice goes, it's me. It's my house now. And he gets scared and he runs away. And then they find a leopard and they're like, um, uh, there's this guy in my house and he's really freaking me out. And the leopard's like, right, I'll sort this out. So he goes in and he's like, right, who's in the antelope's house? And... Um, the the voice is like it's me i'm uh I, it's my house now and whatever um so the leopard goes in and then there's like silence for um like a really long time and then the leopard comes out and he's like crying because he's laughing so much and it turns out that it's a frog that's been in the house and it's been scaring everyone away and um, i can't remember what the moral of the story is but um don't be scared of the unknown <laughs> don't be scared of frogs yeah don't be scared of frogs that classic fable <laughs> kate you had a birthday that yeah just i happened. did well done me yeah how you how does it feel for a whole other year how, how does it feel to have circumnavigated the sun again um it was it was good i had a really nice birthday i just did absolutely nothing it was amazing um i got lots of things because i'm very spoilt and <laughs> very lucky and it was very nice and now i'm 22 years old Yay! I, I had a birthday and I felt really old and I started to contemplate mortality. And then a load of people on the internet sent me stuff, so it's fine. Yeah, I got sent some stuff as well. I got some colouring books and some comics and it's really nice and I'm good at the colouring books. I, I got some some fizzy drinks with funny names and some sweets and some little figurines and it's all very adorable. Um, Aw, look at us. We're so yeah, lovely. exactly. We're so loved. So yeah, how, how does it feel to be 22 now? Absolutely no different to being 21 i didn't find 22 or 23 too bad 24 felt really scary for some reason how old are you now 25 24 yeah you are 24 yeah this this year was a really scary birthday 
Well, you say that, but I do remember when you were going to turn 23. When you were going to turn 30. (laughs) (laughs) Just before you turned 30. Um, No, when you turned 23, you were freaking out about it for ages. When you turned 20, you were freaking out about it for ages. Well, they're all scary numbers in their own right. 24 is scary because, like, the next birthday I have is 25, and then I'm closer to 30 than I am to 20. Mm, Well, yes, it is, but you do freak out about your birthday every year. Not that much. Yeah, a bit. Yeah. Especially when you were 20, you were like, oh my god, it's six months, I could have a baby, and I'd be 20 years old with a baby. And I was like, yes, you could, because that's how time works, sweetheart. Shut up. Don't make fun of... Like, about time. (laughs) Just about time. Yeah, yeah. Time of the concept. But people always, um, always say like, oh, in five years or something, or like, people who are 15 today don't know what a floppy disk is, and it's like, well, I know what a gramophone is. Exactly. I know what a horse and cart is. Just because those, these technologies become relatively obsolete doesn't mean they're, like, it's not like we have a brain wipe and we all go, no, now we must forget any technology you, that we do not you, use. Any- you say this, you, if you ever watch videos of children being shown these things, they don't know what they are. I but mean, why it should they? Like, if you showed me a gramophone, I'd know what it is, but I don't know how to work one. No. It's irrelevant to me. It's not, like, it's not a part of my life in the slightest. And the other thing was um, with television, they go, oh, if you don't know what this TV is, it means you weren't born in the 90s. Well, I was born in the 90s, but I didn't have Sky. <laughs> and I didn't have, like, you know, what Americans would call cable. We just had the five channels where a lot of my friends yeah. had various um, <laughs> packages. And um, I read a lot. So, you know, there's, I mean, there's some oh, books yeah. that were amazing. Kate, 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 if you, were, if you read books instead of watching satellite TV... You were you you are no longer born in the year you think you were born. Apparently, you, yeah, history has rewritten itself. Experiences and there are some experiences that are very similar. And um, I said said that somebody at work put their hat on backwards, and I said, "Oh, you're like T.J. Detweiler," and they were like, "T.J. Detweiler, oh my god, <laughs> recess." But it is nice. I mean, you know, everyone likes to share their experiences. But yeah, yeah. I do a lot of um, book sharing with uh, with my friends like, have oh, either of you read Molly Moon's Incredible Book of Hypnotism no I've never no read that. what never is that? that oh it's amazing it's about this girl called Molly Moon who finds um a book she lives in an orphanage like it's quite um it's quite uh, not not stereotypical, but this, that kind of traditional, you know, orphan, little orphan Annie kind of thing. Yeah. And she's um having a really bad time of it, and she uh she's at school. And she sneaks off, I think, at school to the library and finds a book. And it's in the. It says hypnotism because the H is missing, and there's no H, so it's been put in the Y, the Y section. And she takes it home um, back to the orphanage. This incredible book of hypnotism, and she turns out she's quite good at it, and she basically becomes a hypnotist and tries to better her situation and ends up doing lots and lots of slightly mad stuff. And it's amazing. And they're trying Aww. to make a film of it. And it's so well written. And, I mean, I, I think you'll both love it, but Tilly especially, I think you really would. So when <laughs> yeah, I I'll give it a read that, I get excited. Oh, I have a thing that I've been experiencing this week that I am so, like, oh, so good. Is the new season of Rick and Morty. So for anyone who hasn't watched Rick and Morty, it is... It is an animated show that is basically... Is it about a guy and his dog? No. it's. Oh, it's, I love dogs. It's, um, Same. imagine if you had Back to the Future, 
but Doc Brown was an alcoholic and Marty McFly was terrified of everything all of the time. It sounds like my childhood. Yeah, same. (laughs) Should I be worried that you had alcoholic scientists for parents? They weren't my parents, but yes. (laughs) So... Yeah, it's it's a sort of adult um, comedy animated sitcom thing. But every so often it gets really... Si- like, it does the thing that Welcome to Night Vale will sometimes do, where it's like, it'll get to the end of an episode, and then it's just like, oh my god, you just hit me with so many feelings I want to cry at the end of episodes. Um, and the second season came out a little while back. I think there's like six or seven episodes of it so far. And I watched them all in a big in a big run. And there were at least three episodes so far in this new season that ended on points where I was just like, I just want to cry. You had hilarious misadventures and then terrifyingly sad things happened that broke my heart. Because they're really good at doing that and making their characters really relatable. Like, without spoiling too much, like there is one episode in which one of the characters finds out that they may not have been a wanted child and there is this really, like really sweet bonding moment between like a brother and sister and then there's this sort of really sad moment where like the elderly scientist character in one episode has his moment of yeah i am freaking terrified of my own mortality and there's all these really sad very relatable human things that happen in amongst this wacky silly comedy so yeah i really like rick and morty Oh, look yeah. at you liking things. Yeah, look at me having opinions on shows. You know what a show Tilly has an opinion on that she did not like? Supernatural. <laughs> no. Doctor no, Who I, don't had... Don't talk to me about Supernatural. Doctor Who I had its new can't. season. I just, I just can't. That's anyway. I didn't even know. Like, I didn't... It wasn't um, kind of on my radar. I didn't what, even Doctor see Who? a TV show. Yeah. A TV show. I didn't even see a thing on my book for it. I didn't know Doctor Who was coming back until the day it was coming back. Um, mm-hmm. Best piece of news. As lovely as an actress as she is, Clara only has twelve. this this run of 12 episodes left and then that she's gone. Does anybody remember Clara as Jasmine from Emmerdale who um, slept with Debbie and then had an affair with Debbie's dad and then killed someone? No. no, I remember her as a Dalek in that one Doctor Who episode. Well, you need to watch more soaps. I'm telling you, you need to watch more soaps. I, I don't I have, have such the an time addictive in my personality. Life. Like, if I were to watch soaps, I wouldn't have any if, time to do anything. If else. I got invested in a soap, I'd go back to episode one and I would watch all seven thousand no, episodes. That's the, that's the joy. You you annoy your mother by picking it up and going, "Who's that? Who's that?" Oh, what have they done? And it's always so convoluted. Like, well, no, because they slept with them. Oh, I thought they didn't like each other. No, that was yeah, but that works, it works if you live with your parents. I don't. I don't have anyone to t- teach me these things. One of and you l- needs to take responsibility. <laughs> unless whenever the soap is on, I you. Laura. Here's the thing: whenever the whenever the soap is on, you need to Skype me, and we'll watch together, and I can ask you, Kate. And you can tell me about it. I remember I came home when I lived in London. I came home to mum and we were having a conversation at the weekend. She was just saying, like, you know, things about her weekend and her week. And she just goes, oh, Belle's out of prison. (laughs) I looked at her and it only took a second. And then I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay." And I knew that she was talking about Belle from Emmerdale. (laughs) Oh, goodness. I did watch a little bit of a soap for a while once. Uh, What's the Channel 4 one? Hollyoaks? I watched some Hollyoaks for a while. 
that's just a terrible my boyfriend watches that religiously there, there was a I guy with a handlebar like... moustache who I think might have killed someone yes he was like a mafia boss and nobody seemed to everybody I've watched that show with doesn't they all don't seem to understand that his handlebar moustache is hilarious and it like, is hilarious I'm like how can you he, take it seriously he's got this terrible looks, Irish accent he looks like he should be the the front man of an 80s homosexual boy band so an 80s boy band yeah pretty much mm-hmm. like he he would like if you tried to like had to replace freddie mercury in queen with someone it would be you like could that. probably if put nobody... this guy in front uh, like as the front person of queen and he'd look like he fit in like he could do backing vocals for freddie mercury it looks like and everybody just seems to think like yes he is legitimately a gangster no but talking of gangsters, I watched um, Legend this weekend. Was was it Legend? No, it wasn't that great, <laughs> to be honest. Legend was not Legend. There we go. This is what I'm paid to do. There's your headline for your review. Legend is not Legend. It's not Legend. It was Legend, just... not very Legend. They um, like it was an okay film, but um, it's about the Crave Twins. Um, and I afterwards I read some reviews on it because I wanted to find out what was real and what wasn't, you know, what they made up. Mm. And one of the reviews said, oh, this is about um, Reggie Cray and his relationship with his wife. And another one um, said, this is about Reggie Cray and his relationship with his brother, Ronnie. And the film tried to do both and ended up doing neither. It, kind of, it didn't really, it, it kind of had a bit about the police dealing with them. It had a bit about the rival gangs. It had quite a bit about um, the relationship between the two brothers um, and sort of the almost like a love triangle with the fraternal love of the two twins and then um, the wife of Reggie. But in it, and I just wanted to talk quickly about the mental health aspect of it. um, Ronnie Cray. Ronnie? Yeah, Ronnie Cray. Ronnie Cray. Ronnie Cray um, spent most of his uh or the last few years of his life in a mental institution and it was mainly assumed even by modern standards that he had paranoid schizophrenia and i know people with paranoid schizophrenia and they have never done anything like created an incredibly large um gangster mafia crime family that i know of um the only part that was seemed pretty accurate was that he was paranoid and thought that, um, you know, one of their business associates was kind of out to get them. But in it, they're twins, and it's implied that they're very, very similar. You know, they're peas in a pod, two sides of the same coin, all those cliches. But Ronnie, who um, has paranoid schizophrenia, it's like, oh, he's he's so violent and psychopathic because he's got paranoid schizophrenia. And then his brother, who literally stabbed someone to death with a cheese knife, it's just crazy, like, it's just, um, sorry, it's just evil or just, like, violent. But it's like, oh, well, he's just a violent guy. But the other guy is because he's crazy. It made no sense whatsoever. But it was, like, the acting was really good. And I did forget that Tom, I forgot that Tom Hardy was playing two characters because he was so good. But the rest of it was a bit meh. I, I watched something recently put out by the BBC that wasn't terribly good, unfortunately, which was, uh, it was called... News. <laughs> Yeah, the news. That's terrible. But write some better plot lines, news. Mm. Um, no, it was called Game Changers. Mm. And it was the BBC's sort of documentary drama oh, yeah. about uh, Rockstar, who are the company who make Grand Theft Auto. And it was a, a, this. I've thought about this because you mentioned Legend being sort of trying to be two things and not being either. Mm. Um. This is very much a fictionalized version of these events. Uh, it tells you that twice during the first 30 seconds. Wow. That 
uh, events have been changed for a dramatic effect and the company we're talking about denies that half these things happened and did a lawsuit to try and stop us doing this because they don't agree with the way we've dramatized the events. So it's like, oh, that's a great start. Um, Daniel Radcliffe plays the head of Rockstar Games, who apparently... Uh, it starts on the day after they release one of the Grand Theft Auto games. And it's like, ah, oh, it sold a million. We're gonna get drunk. And then they... Ha- the first half an hour is, like, exposition about them partying and being like, we sold a lot of copies. Next game, we are going to put these things in because we don't need to discuss that with the designers. If I say it's going in, it's going in. And then you get the first sign of things going badly, which is... Um, young black teenager shoots a load of people, shoots some police officers, and then his vision turns into a video game and he shoots some more people. And this is when you then get the, it's it's because Grand Theft Auto and Jack Thompson, the lawyer, comes in, who he's very strange the way he's portrayed. Um, Like, where where do I even start with my problems on this? Um, it's it's weirdly inconsistent. Um, Jack Thompson as a character is just like... They try to make him redeemable by being like, hey, he believes in his convictions, but they also undermine that by making him seem a little bit... Like, a little bit... Um, unhinged. Unhinged isn't the right word. Unable to empathise with his family. Like, his his wife starts getting... When he tries to get Grand Theft Auto banned, his wife's getting death threats on the phone and his son's being beaten up at school. And, like, to his wife's death threats, he's just like, ah, they're just threats. If anyone's going to kill you, <laughs> they'd have killed you. It's nothing. And then his son's being beaten up at school and he's like, yeah, but I'm doing the Lord's work, so whatever. And he just brushes that off. Second, so he... Literal injury and... Uh, and harassment and intimidation of his family members is dismissible but the potential for violence caused by video games yeah um the 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 second he gets like a brick thrown through his office window and not like something happened to his family then he freaks out um the film has like the the docudrama has a real problem with uh non-white representation because the only uh times that people who are not white turn up in this in this film are um, when the developers go to the hood in their gangster clothes to video the black kids in the hood for their video game research, and then the scary black guys in the car drive up and threaten to beat them up. Oh, wait, no, it's okay. They've heard of Grand Theft Auto, so now they're cool blood. Um, The mother of the teenager who shoots all the kids, who Jack Thompson quotes Martin Luther King to the black mother of a kid who has just shot a load of people oh my god this is horrendous um and then there's a black guy who turns up to do some break dancing in the office obviously that is the only times that non-white people show up in this film um and it's also really weirdly inconsistent where like the the creator of grand theft auto is like yeah we're gonna put the sex scene in and i don't care if we don't get a rating we're gonna put it in on principle and then and then the ratings board find out that the sex scene is in the game, and he's like, "Who the fuck let this in the game?" I'm like, "Well, <laughs> well, you did. You insisted that regardless of rating, you wanted it left in." And it's just, it's terrible and weirdly inconsistent and full of plodding exposition. And then at the end, Daniel Radcliffe gets into a car, and his car becomes a video game. What that is just what? Yeah, that is several that is hours. The weirdest of, thing I have ever heard. That is several hours of my life I will never get back, and it's unfortunate because I know the guy who 
like the video game critic who was brought in by the BBC to help write it. And I really like the guy. His name is Guy Cocker. He showed me oh, pictures. Oh yeah, no, I've met. Yeah, he's with, the person um, we we did cat pictures with at the, uh, the Geek, Geek Night Agenda. In the Geek Agenda um, thing. Yeah, yeah, he's lovely. But this was really not a good docudrama. I really like so, cats. So I'm really sorry, Guy, if you're listening, but I really didn't like it. I think it's interesting that we're having more documentaries about. Well, it's not documentaries, docudramas about these kind of things, and hopefully it'll be a pushing off point to do stuff. I mean, isn't there, there's like, because we've got, we had like the Pixels movie, which bombed. Um, oh, I really the, wanted to see that. Oh, it's apparently it's appalling. Mm. Um, Adam Sandler, I think, was probably the ruination of <sighs> yeah. that movie. But we've got the Assassin's Creed movie, Minecraft movie coming up and stuff. So there's kind of movies based on video games. And obviously, we've had Tomb Raider. There's been a few, stuff. there's been a few like really good ones in recent years. Like there was Wreck-It Ralph and... Um, oh, that was so good. Wreck-It Ralph was so good. To me, sorry, to me, that was kind of, um, that was a different ball game for Wreck-It Ralph because it, and I think, which is what Pixels tried to do, which was all these like homages and, <gasps> you know, where you go, oh, I remember that. Oh, I, I disagree. I, uh, Pixels, to me at least, was very sort of uh cynical look what we what license we got rather than Wreck-It Ralph was like we are a love letter inspired by these things and Pixels was hey look we got all these things and uh, like even in the trailer there is they have to have the scene where the girl shoots a gun and it's like what you don't think I went to the arcades <gasps> the shock the the girl in the group played video games too <gasps> mm. oh, Pixels Pixels did you like it or did you hate it? I hated it. Oh, good. I cannot stand it. No, it's done really badly. Up yeah. Up. Anyway, I'm going to go to a segue that we kind of went to earlier and never actually addressed. Uh, you know what else someone here thought was terrible? Doctor Who. Doctor Who. Oh, Tilly, sorry. Tilly didn't like Doctor Who. Kate, did you see Doctor Who? No. Don't bother. I... I know Tilly's going to disagree with me here. I thought that the season uh, the season premiere of the new season of Doctor Who was wildly tonally and paced uh, wildly tonally inconsistent with terrible pacing. There are huge dips in quality in it. I'm not going to deny either of those facts. There are points where it just crashes for a while and does not go anywhere. That being said, when this episode is doing well, it is amongst some of the better Doctor Who stuff in the last couple of years. Um... If anyone listening is a fan of Tom Baker's era of Doctor Who... The best thing Tom Baker ever did was Fort Boyard, controversial opinion. But I, I will kind of agree with you. I will agree with you there. But if anyone's a fan of Tom Baker's era of Doctor Who, this episode is specifically a follow-up to a hypothetical moral question that that version of the Doctor asked himself and never properly addressed that I thought was a fantastic Tom Baker episode. And this this episode does cite it. Like, there is footage of that episode in this episode in which it's basically like, hey, you know that hypothetical moral question that we asked Tom Baker's doctor? Yeah, we're going to make you actually properly address that yourself, doctor. And I really like that as an idea. I like the base premise. Um, I um, There are parts of this episode that I really fucking hate. But there's also bits of it that... I think are some of the best Doctor Who has been in the last few seasons and the most invested I've been in it in a good few years. So, Tilly, do you want to share your thoughts now? I thought it was... <laughs> I just tweeted your picture. 
What did you tweet us? I can tell you I need to look at our tweets. Hold on, I'm I'm looking. Oh, I can't because I'm um I'm updating all my apps. Oh, hang on, I'll put it on the thing then on the Skype. It's hilarious. <laughs> put it on Skype. I want to see. Just a sec. I'm getting there. I'm I, I opened. Uh, I'm I'm trying to open this image nice and large, but it won't open. <laughs> Oh my god, look at that cat. I'm trying to open it bigger. I love cats. Ah, don't shout at me, laptop. I will. Someone, ah. um, someone I follow on Twitter shared a picture of their cat and was like, this cat is made out of um, recycled cat fur. And it, like, it looks like it. It looks like Simon, but like slightly better kept. I had to, um, Brundle was molting this week, and he'll be molting for the next couple of weeks, and I was trying to get up, um, pick up some of the loose hair in his run, and I realised there were loads of, um, toadstools in there, oh. and so I had to get in the run, like, I didn't want to have to take all the netting off that covers the top, so I literally got in it, and I was crawling around on my knees, picking up all the, and Brundle was like, what are you doing? <laughs> And I was picking up all these toy stores, and then when I was in there, it was only then that I realised there wasn't mushroom in there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Stupid. Um, Like, the plot is just something that has been done a thousand times already. Um, I... Oh no, the doctor's gonna die. What are we gonna do? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. They were like, um, they were like, the doctor's gonna die tomorrow, and I was like, good. Well, yeah, Bring he's, it. he's clearly not gonna he's die tomorrow, like, but he. This is the issue that I have with Doctor Who now is that I do not give a shit what happens to anyone, because he's not the doctor that I love. He's not my doctor. Yeah, but. Um, He's just well, he's good, a completely it was very difficult to get an appointment. <laughs> but he's he's a completely different character to the doctor that I um that I fell in love with. Like the his um his core principles are just not there anymore. He doesn't have the same principles that made me so crazy no, about him in the first Jeremy place he's the, he's the labor party <laughs> we, we, yeah. we could argue at length about this because we both vehemently disagree with each other on this we have um, argued at length i know um, um but um and then i quite like the idea of clara i don't like her execution i like the sort of idea of a companion that has a life outside the doctor who um you know she's uh, she's high up like in her own right um, people come to her for her opinions, not just to be like, "Can you get in touch with the doctor?" Like, I like the idea of her. I don't like the way that she's been written, or um, you know, anything like that. And um, the whole thing with the master, or the mistress, or Missy, or whatever the fuck she's called now, um, I just don't buy it. Like, I just don't. It's. Um, what, what do you mean you don't buy it? The doctor, Doctor Who, has a history of. Um, killing uh, villains and then bringing them back and then killing them and then bringing them back and you know they've been doing that since the beginning of the show in the 60s or whatever um, but um, the master is someone who just really irritates me um, the chemistry that uh, David Tennant and the actor who played him Simon 
Was it Simon? I can't remember, honestly. Who? Who played who? What? Um, the one who played the doc- the not the doc- the, master the master opposite David Tennant. Yeah. Oh, um, John Sim. That mm. one. That's where I'm getting Simon from. Um, <laughs> Simon the Cat. <laughs> yes. That would have made it much better. Um, but anyway, yeah, I, the chemistry that the two of them had was um, just perfect. And now the way that they've just retconned the whole relationship, it just does my head in. Like, it's just <sighs> to, irritating to, to, to me. To, like, they, he's taken a show that I loved so much and a character that I loved so much and mangled it until it's not even recognisable okay. as my show we've, anymore. We've, we've had lots of conversations about this before. Basically, as someone who has enjoyed Doctor Who for a lot longer, like before the reboot, um, I am a bit more used than Tilly to the idea of the Doctor shifting in terms of personality from one actor to another and the experiences leading up to regenerations impacting the shifting takes on the Doctor each time round. And I know that Tilly's very much like, this is not the character that I enjoyed. And that's perfectly fine. Um, what I will say in defense of this episode, I yeah, I am frustrated by the concept of the female, uh, female version of the Master being the mistress and some of the ways that character's played up really irritate me. Yeah, some of the aspects of that character do really annoy me. I get that. Um, equally, there are certain times when I really like the way that ca- version of the character is portrayed. Like in this episode when that character is being very direct and forthright with their interactions with other characters. That's really good. Um, I really like the premise to this episode. I would like to basically give you the first two minutes of the episode, the setup, which I thought was really interesting was, Hey, the doctor is traveling solo right now. He comes across a young child in distress from, you know, something that puts him at risk. He promises the child help because the child is clearly distressed. Turns out the child is going to grow up to be one of the Doctor's big villains. And the Doctor has to make a moral choice about, I have promised to protect this scared child, I know what they're going to become. And I like the premise of that, and I like what they tried to do with this. I think that there are parts of this episode that are hugely fucking terrible in the way they are executed, both in pacing and tone. Um... But the moral question that's brought back up that is like, it goes back to a Tom Baker question of if you had the ability to commit genocide against a species that you know is going to cause untold damage to the universe, do you have the moral right to do so? Would it be morally correct for you to commit genocide? And basically it's putting that 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 question right in the doctor's hands and i think that is fascinating to do i do not like a lot of the execution of this episode but the parts where i was enjoying it i was more invested than i have been in a long time in this so there we go i just felt like it had been done before and it was just a a rehashing of the same i mean yeah i i totally get where you're coming from it is a really interesting moral question and it would be so fascinating to me if it had never been done before if it was the first Mm. time that i was seeing doctor who coming up with this stuff then i'd be like wow this is amazing well the the difference i think here is this is the first time the doctor has been forced to really like because obviously he's gonna they're gonna find a way around it to keep this particular set of villains in the show but i like in principle the fact that there were consequences this episode where it is basically like right 
you want to undo this, you are going to have to do something that is arguably morally unforgivable if you want to save these people. You are going to have to make a, like, make a judgment about morals in order to save these people. And this is the first time that he's had to actually take action one way or another on that moral issue. And I think that that is an interesting position to put this version of the character in in front of. So, yeah, I know that we disagree about Doctor Who, but I think that there are some valuable things this episode did, even if I am still, like, pissed off at certain aspects of this episode. Also, I like that Clara got her, like, three sentences of getting to be, like, actually really pretty cool for, like, three sentences. Yeah, that happens quite often. She's, um... Yeah. Every now and then, she is just quite cool. Yeah, like, I think it was last season's pre- um, like first episode as well did this. The moments where she is not with the Doctor and she gets to basically stand up to the villain herself and to be like, no, I'm not fucking scared of you. Those are really cool. I want more of those from Clara. <laughs> so yeah, Kate, are you still here now that we have finished our back and forth? <laughs> My sister sent me some pictures of some cats, and I was laughing so hard I had to mute myself, but I'm sorry. (laughs) There was one, and it was like cat shaming, and it says, I beat up the dog, now every time he sees me, he cries for help. All the dogs in the neighbourhood are scared of me. We just watched the vine you sent. (laughs) The the mcha-mcha as a cat climbs the stairs. I I am very tickled. What what, what on earth did, what, what did you, what do you do? I don't know. This is just my life. Sounds like a great one. Can I? Can I come? Well, all I do is study and you know watch yeah. cat vines. Yes, I watch cat vines. There is nothing wrong with that lifestyle. That sounds like a pretty good life to me. Um, so, do we have anything else on the topic list we wanted to talk about? Kate, do you want to tell us about the non-fiction you've been reading? Oh yeah, I've been reading quite a lot of non-fiction recently. Um, I can't remember if I talked about this, so if I have, tell me. A book called Wild Swans. Can I mention this? I don't think so. Well, it's a book, and it's called Wild Swans. Um, I know, surprising. And it's by a woman called Young Chang, who grew up during... I'm trying to find out when she was born. She was born in 1952 in China and grew up... Um, as the daughter of two Communist Party officials um, and grew up, uh, she was sort of in her teens and early 20s during the Cultural Revolution. And it was one of the first, well, not the first book, I don't think, but it was one of the first big books outside of China that told people outside of China what it was like to live inside Chairman Mao's China. Um, and it's I'd, I'd read her other book, Emperor Dow- Empress Dowager um, Cece, um and somebody this is like her biography wild swans whereas the other one was um a biography of um the empress and this one is about her life and it's absolutely fascinating and it's a really really good introduction you know I, i'm studying history but obviously i don't know much about chinese history in 20th century chinese stuff so it's a good introduction that kind of has made me want to learn more but it's so interesting and it's really horrific and a lot of the things but her family 
quite a big family um, and, you know, very interesting, lots of different people. But the focus is on her, her mother and her grandmother. And her grandmother was the concubine of a warlord um, in pre-World War Two China. Um, and then who had her, and then she had her mother. Um, the, the warlord died and she married a doctor who, um, you know, raised you young Chinese doctor? mother. <laughs> yes. Um, and then... By the time Yang Chang was born, her parents were both quite moving higher and higher in the Communist Party um, and then went through the Great Leap Forward, which was ended in famine. When I, well, I'm not sure of the exact numbers, but millions and millions of people died. And then um, the Cultural Revolution, where millions of people were persecuted and died. Um, and yeah, and it's interesting because the only stuff, the only time I've ever heard Chairman Mao's name said is I knew that he was like to do with China and to do with communism. But there was... I remember watching a documentary and this person went to China and they said, oh, um, you know, they said to these people, what's Chairman Mao like? And they were like, oh, he's a hero. He's amazing. And he caused untold misery and murder of millions and millions of people. And but people in China and some people around the world still think of him as, you know, just a, a politician and a hero and things like that. And it's the same with Stalin, who killed, I think, more people. I read today, but I'm not sure of the exact numbers because we don't know the exact numbers. More people than Hitler and Pol Pot put together. Um, and yet in Russia, he's still called by some Uncle Joe and considered the hero who won the Second World War. And it is very much, you know, winners write history. And, that you know, Russia won the war. So they get to write history as that they were heroes and things <laughs> like that. And it's just really interesting. And nonfiction books, I feel... Yeah, like when you're a child, obviously you don't read necessarily a lot of nonfiction, which is understandable. But I have I my journey to nonfiction was very dry with stuff that I was recommended to read in school that I found very boring. And then recently, since reading a book called Nothing to Envy about North Korea, I've really, really mm. enjoyed reading nonfiction. I was yeah, gonna say yeah. non nonfiction is like the perfect embodiment of what you were just discussing of this whole idea of uh revisionist history while history is happening mm, yes but i mean because this is stuff that happened i mean it happened in the 50s um well the cultural revolution happened in the 60s and 70s but she you know she's still alive she's a 63 now you know she's not um oh my god she's married to john halliday <laughs> really? oh no i'm thinking of johnny halliday who is um who is a French singer. Never mind, she's not married to Johnny Halliday. <laughs> uh, I was like, what the hell? That's random. No, just some Irish historian. Oh, okay. Um, That's not nearly as exciting. But history generally is, yeah, history is written by the winners and there's so little we know and there's so little we even know now. And I like learning about history, basically. Like Sloane Square um, in London, and you know, like there's, there's loads of places named after this guy called Sloan, and everyone thinks of him as bringing, like, oh, he brought loads of artifacts to um, back from uh, Africa, West Africa, and also from the Caribbean back to England. He owned slaves, and if you Google Sloan Square or whatever his name is, Harold Sloan or something, slave owner, nothing comes up. Oh, and yeah. it's like we don't like when people talk about like Benedict Cumberbatch and stuff, and various other. Um, families whose um, ancestors made money from slavery or directly owned slaves we always say like well hopefully we don't but generally people say oh you know it wasn't them it was their ancestors but we have people who literally did and we still don't mention it yeah, yeah. so it was, it's just interesting finding out these things that do get dismissed um even though 
like so much of history is bullshit basically yeah like, so, so much. much of history is swept under the rug it's swept under the rug and it's ignored and it's altered and stuff that we take as rote isn't true like mm. just not oh it was you know oh it was doctored it just isn't true it didn't happen like there's quotes that we know there is no way um were said in that context it probably was just a you know a popular opinion or something so yes i like history the end that is a big surprise we did not know you liked no. that their history well i started i'm very excited because are you both mean girls fans you yeah mean girls? Mm-hmm. yeah i um I asked on my uh, Facebook group, like, oh, when when does the university course? And someone was like, October 3rd. (laughs) And I was like, so I'm really excited that on the day I'm going to be like, what day is it? It's October 3rd. So that's when I started. I'm more excited about that than actually starting university, I think. Hey, well, it's good to have got another episode of The Geek Night In done because we don't get enough of these done. So hooray, we're slowly creeping toward 50 50 episodes and with this episode done we've now there are two days of your life that have been spent listening to us talk about nerd stuff yay so time to do self-promotion tilly where can we find you on the internet uh you can find me at gathering tilly on twitter where usually i'll be complaining about my cat and about how much doctor who is shit (laughs) I don't complain about Doctor Who that much. Only when it's on. Yeah. Um, and, um, oh man, what the fuck else? Uh, Your book. Oh, yes, uh, I'm on Patreon for my book. It's um, it's working title is The Lost and Brave, but that's shit, so I'm changing <laughs> it soon. Um, Change it to Kate is Amazing. <laughs> That would be better than what it is at the moment, actually. Well, it's not a shit title at the moment. It's just kind of plagiarised. It's still a shit title. <laughs> um, but yes, I'm on Patreon forward slash Valence Killer, um, where you can read my book for a dollar a month. And it's Ooh. great because it's all about the gays. It's all about the gays and dragons and dragon gays. Dragon gays. Yep. Uh, what about you, Kate? Where can we find you on the internet? At what Katie underscore did. I'm also doing some YouTube stuff at the moment when I have time. Woo! Great. And then you can find me at Laura K Buzz on everything, which, uh, what have I been doing at the moment? I just made a silly video called Nintendo Fun Facts with Shigeru Miyamoto that was very silly. I'm doing a thing this week about um, how agency in video games for those interacting with the medium impacts the sort of increased necessity for content warnings um so that is a thing that i expect to have a lot of responses lots of people aren't going to disagree aren't going to agree with so that's going to be fun just laura k buzz on everything pretty much just laura k buzz will find me so uh yeah thank you very much for listening and we will have another geek night in for you again next week bye bye